This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 33, recorded on December 11th, 2020. listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abi Abdallah. I'm here with Dr. Fawner and Dr. Keller. See how I did not put you two together in the doctor's category. Yeah, but you you, you spelled my name with a lowercase letter. Lowercase K? Oh, I did. Does it mean something? Yeah, but you got the capitalized D right. I think that's more important. Is it? <laughs> hey, you know what? I was just thinking as you said it, it's December eleventh, twenty twenty. We've almost made it through this crazy year. Jeez, man. I know. I'm I'm really looking forward to the holidays. Oh crap, nineteen days. That's yep. That's a birthday coming up that I have to mm. buy somebody a present for. She's so lucky. She gets Christmas, birthday, and then uh anniversary. See, I don't think that's I, I don't think that's lucky because it's very lucky. Well, you don't I have time to that. save up to get like you know, I'd rather have them six months apart. <laughs> so you'd I, spend more. Uh, I, I told her she'd better get ready for having a elliptical or a bike uh, as a Christmas because present. That's because that's what I want. Because that's what you want. This is my last day at the gym for the foreseeable future, which sucks. But I, I personally think Fawner is the lucky guy here to have such a wonderful wife agree to marry him. Does she listen? See, that, that would she, help me, but she doesn't listen. So. <laughs> she, listen she doesn't listen to the podcast. Does she not? Uh, well, Joe listens, scratch though. That. Shout out to <laughs> Joe Fodor, my brother-in-law. Maybe, Joe, tell Kayla that she got a good shout out and that I love her. There we go. <laughs> All right. Done. All right. So, uh, another shout out. We should oh, actually yeah, do it. Yeah, good, yeah. good. Yeah, we should do a shout out to our German listeners. Yes. And we mean in Germany. Listeners. In Germany. Apparently, this podcast on Good Weeks... Ranks in the top 10 in the life sciences in Germany. Who knew? Weren't we ranked high in Latvia or did we just No, we have had a one listener. listener in Latvia. Boy, we'd like that listener to reach out to us. I want to know who that one listener yeah, in yeah. Latvia is. Give us is. your story and Absolutely. give us some recommendations. Latvia. Hmm. Would love. How many people live in Latvia? One, one person. One, <laughs> one person. No, let's not. We no. have 100% we, we, of the market. We, we love Latvia. So, uh, but yeah, shout, shout out to our German listeners. You guys put us on the charts. Yeah, hopefully uh, that'll happen again. Let's do it. So, uh, December 11th, uh, 1925. We have a birthday to it today. Who is it? Paul Greengard. And I just learned there's a different Paul Greengard. Right? Right, Foner? You said there's another Paul Greengard? Paul Greengrass. Green Similar, grass. but not the same. Never yeah. mind then. Paul Greengrass <laughs> is a famous director of some of the Bourne movies, but yeah, very different. And very different. yes, a different last name. Very different. But in contrast to Greengrass, Paul Greengard was an American neurologist who was awarded a share of the 2000 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. And he shared that with Arvid Carlson of Sweden and Austrian American scientist Eric R. Candle. And they got a Nobel Prize for their discoveries concerning how drugs affect the brain and in recognizing drug addiction as being associated with brain disease or as a brain disease in and of itself. And uh, Greengard was able to trace biochemical reactions that are elicited in nerve cells in response to different neurotransmitters such as dopamine. 
Fantastic. So uh, he lived a long life, uh, a fruitful life. He was, in addition to the Nobel Prize, he's gotten other awards as well, uh, based out of uh, New York City, I think. Um, so he did a lot of research on cocaine, amphetamine, uh, how they change neurotransmitter function. And, uh, his, his main, uh, 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 impetus, I guess, was to, uh, try to treat addiction. Yeah. And it looks like a lot of his research underlies our current models and concepts of thinking about addiction, especially the stigma associated with addiction and how it's actually a brain disease. That's actually so, not a bad topic for we we addiction? talked about that did we, we do talked, an addiction yes episode? we didn't do an addiction episode at teal but we did uh pleasure responses i think with dopamine in the brain but we could talk same about, difference we could talk about addiction full-blown but okay it's besides the point moving on so what are we talking about today telemedicine and telehealth telemedicine and telehealth uh, but First, Ooh, before always. we get there, <laughs> did you know there's a pandemic? So as of December 9th, uh, worldwide cases hovered around 69 million, roughly around 1.5 million deaths. Uh, so what are we looking at? Maybe 3%, 2, 2.5, something like that? Is that? Am I doing the math right? Close. One and a half out of a hundred would be one point five percent, right? So yeah, I say let's say two two percent or so, two two to three percent. Uh, total cases in the 2. U.S. Two point two. Two point two. Good, perfect. Thank you. Total cases in the U.S. Fifteen million so far. Uh, documented deaths around three hundred thousand. European total cases because we like to compare our numbers to the continent of Europe, uh, same size <laughs> roughly <laughs> or so. Uh, Nineteen million cases and uh, four hundred thirty thousand deaths. Mm. Uh, PA uh, creeping up, yeah. 440,000 cases, uh, 11,500 deaths, and uh, that puts us roughly at about 5% death rate. Uh, Erie County, 7,000 cases, 120 deaths, and the scary part about Erie County, PA, I think, is that ICU bed capacity right now is only seven beds available. And that's in, in the entirety of Erie County. That's correct? in the entirety of Erie County. There are 111 ICU beds and 104 are occupied as of two days ago. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Uh, and that is, I think, uh, why uh, the governor of PA has new restrictions that go into effect midnight today, right? Midnight, right. Well, what do we feel about that? I feel as if, one, it's probably where we are important to do that. Two, nationwide even. Why, why don't we have more ICU beds at this point? I mean, if hospitals know that we're going to have, you knew this wasn't going away. And we knew a second wave was you, They were talking about a occur. second, they're talking about a third wave. Mm -hmm. We're still part of the first wave. I'm telling yeah. you, no, everybody's going to get this virus at some point or a vaccine. Well, that would be interesting more. to actually look at and maybe to start next episode with. Um, have ICU out. beds increased? Has the capacity for That's ICU patients increased I don't, it, since may the have. first pandemic since spring? I think they have increased a bit. They have now some children's hospitals are being converted to for use yeah, for adults and, for the, and, and, and whole wards are now right. ICU yeah. wards but the problem have we done that money here? have mm -hmm. we done that here money money they don't have money man 
But we've had we've had six months. We have, and Congress is not passing a stimulus bill. They've both parties are for intransigent. Both parties are to blame. They're I playing politics. I would say politics. both parties are to blame. Yes, I think we're not this, passing money for hospitals. I think hospitals are broke. Uh, communities broke are broke before we started. Right, uh, states are broke, and uh, we're just playing politics with people's lives, and it's sad. Well, and priorities too. I mean, a lot of this this haggling is going going on about you know stimulus about okay what are the stimulus checks i know that's important i know unemployment benefits are important i'm not saying they aren't but they're missing the big picture here of increased funding in order to for hospitals increased yeah. ICU hospitals capacity, and healthcare need PPE, the money hospital uh materials manpower resources that's being lost here and this is where we're at because the entirety of congress can't get their act together. I'm sorry. Can you and fund blame both, everybody? Though? Can you fund both? I mean, I don't disagree at all, but at some point you have people losing their businesses, mm -hmm. losing their livelihoods. They oh, can't yeah, get food. Course. So yeah. what's more important, eating food or having more beds? And at some point... It's you know, impossible to right decide. Now, neither, yeah. neither are getting money. Yeah, but I, I agree neither are getting money, and I think we can do both. There is money. That's that's asking a lot. Yeah. It, it is asking a lot, but, you know, we, we spend... We spend it's easy to armchair quarterback this too. We're not in the thick of That's things true. deciding the budget. Yeah, it's but, also easy course. to shut things down, yeah. but then the yeah. consequences last time were severe. Now they're going to be even more, more severe. severe. But the new restrictions are not as strict as last time. So like last they, time it was like shutting down pretty well, much all but essential All businesses. we were trying to do was give healthcare the time they needed. Squash that curve, right? Yeah. And I'm and worried how long we're stuck seven in Seven beds? In, in Erie County, yeah, man, that, that's terrible. Right? How, you know, how are these not uh, already filled up in the past two days is what I'm thinking. This could be... They could have been. I mean, capacity yeah. Now. This is as of two days ago. Yeah. And, but, you know, uh, there's there's a pretty good... We, we'll have it in the show notes. There's a pretty good New York Times article on ICU bed capacity. If you're interested on what the ICU bed capacity in your county or state is, go go to that article that you'll see in the in, in the links. Some places have plenty of ICU capacity, but sure. the problem is they don't have the staff. They don't have mm -hmm. enough doctors and nurses to staff those ICUs. Yeah. But that's where we are. Um, but bright news. Bright news. Today. Today. Uh, Pfizer vaccine approved. Approved by the FDA for emergency use authorization. Which means they can start now. That's right. Yeah. The U.S. government should should be shipping those vaccines uh, as we speak. They're going to be available and administered within a few weeks, right? At the They're saying they can wow. vaccinate as early as Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, That's great. Now. Like now they're ready to ramp now, of it course, up. This is going to be tiered. This is going uh, to it first, is definitely first responders. Uh, Pfizer was not one of those vaccines that was part of the warp speed effort. So we okay. don't have a lot of doses from the Pfizer vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, I, if I remember correctly, we have enough doses right now to vaccinate maybe a million and a half individuals. Okay. And they're going to start with doctors and nurses, I think. Which yeah, is very should. important, of course. Yeah. But Moderna's vaccine is up for emergency use authorization next week. Mm -hmm. And uh, I personally don't see it going uh, any other differently than Pfizer. It's the there's same no vaccine. Reason, no yeah. reason not to. Mm -hmm. It's the same vaccine. It was, it was more effective. 
uh, slightly more, yeah. They're both... Let's put it this way. It wasn't less effective. Right. They're both mRNA vaccines yep, and lipid same, nanoparticles. Yep, yep. Both over, what, 90 to 95 percent? Yeah. Same exact I mean, there, there'd be no... Yeah. The only reason would be a political reason and mm-hmm. somebody didn't like Moderna. Should, should not. Should not and it be. Should, yeah, and I, no, know, I don't think we're, FDA is playing politics. I don't think so either. Uh, regardless of the charges you see in the media, I don't think they're playing politics. Yeah. They were very transparent, which is why we took another week longer than, say, the UK to approve it, uh-huh. because we were very transparent with the well, process. Well, again, I always bring up thalidomide. I, I right. mean, we have the best safety measures in the world for drugs. I agree. I agree. And uh, uh, the, the bright news about Moderna is that they're able to deliver uh, uh, oh, yeah, way lot. more than Pfizer's. Now, Pfizer would have been able to deliver more, but we didn't contract with them, right? But right. again... Not the fault of anyone. We had other companies we contracted with. So thinking ahead, I guess I just hope that the transport process is seamless and that I thought they did a trial run or a simulation yesterday for transporting this, what, uh, UPS or FedEx. And um, they were saying that there might be some possible issues with mass transit. They have to work some kinks out. Not that it's going to prevent it or severely disrupt it. But they'll figure it out. They'll figure it they, out. They will figure it out. I mean, this is but, you know, this is a country that always rises to that kind of challenges. We'll, we'll figure it out. It would have been out. nice they figured it out before, but yeah, we'll figure it, it you out. You know, this is where we're at. You've got to adapt as needed. Yep. Still gonna be a while since you know before we see it. Yeah, so all right, let's talk about telemedicine. What is telemedicine? So so I mean because of the pandemic, we have had So that's to, why we chose this, this yeah. topic. So telemedicine uh, it, it is another name for is remote medicine too, but it's the practice of using technology to deliver care at a distance. Uh, it, it's been around for a while. I know I've I've been to some meetings where telemedicine was at the forefront of discussion for future applications, but it's sure the pandemic has forced its hand, and and now we're seeing a lot more. Uh, telemedicine than we did in the past. Um, so a physician somewhere else, your doctor will see you through a screen. It's like zoom in your doctor. Um, you know, and, and it has its place, I think, in, in medicine as well. So that's telemedicine. Now, telehealth's a little bit different. Uh, telehealth is just it is a more uh, broad sense. It's using electronics, computers, tele, uh, telephones, uh, Zoom technologies uh, just to provide care and services at a distance. So the, the the difference being that telehealth has a broader scope than than telemedicine. That's mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, and tele- uh, telemedicine is specifically realm. referring to clinical services, yeah. correct? And clinical work. Okay, correct. So the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, defines telehealth as non-clinical service. Mm-hmm. So providing sort of uh, provider training, administrative meetings, uh, continuing CME, medical education, right. et cetera. And we've been using that for decades. Yeah. I mean, ever since the internet was invented, I mean, mm-hmm. CME has been a, a big part of that. Now, uh, in in Europe, UK uh, mostly, but also in the rest of Europe as well, they call it e-health. Yeah, you know, and I heard that term at one of the, uh, maybe an ACOM meeting I went to, and I don't think it's really caught on in this country. Yeah. ACOM being, for our uh, listeners? Uh, the uh, American Association of the Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine. Well, thank you for that definition. Well, that's why I said ACOM. <laughs> <laughs> so what What do you, I mean, what do you guys think about tele, telemedicine or telehealth? I think that... Um, I don't think a lot of people necessarily knew about it. A lot of the large proportion 
of the population didn't realize that a was around and that it served a, a critical need, especially for low level access for certain uh, areas throughout the country. I think that maybe it gets a bad rap, at least from people I've talked to mm-hmm. saying that maybe it doesn't, it, it doesn't allow for the same level of patient care, patient engagement, things like that. But I think that if we can learn one thing from this pandemic moving forward is we can strategize and use telemedicine uh, and focus it a lot more to after this pandemic, maybe make lives easier for healthcare workers. And we'll talk about that. In Not just healthcare workers, but for the patients. For the patients, for patients yeah. too. So I I think it's a great tool. And I, I think for access, one hundred percent. Oh, one hundred percent for mm-hmm. access. But I think it's a great tool for the clinician patient relationship too. So, you know, if I said, you know, you're going to spend some money and you're going to come see your doctor, you'd be like, okay, that's a lot of money. If I said you're going to spend the same amount of money, but you get to watch your doctor on a TV screen, I'm sorry, less money, would that be worth it? Yeah. You know, for some people it would be, right. Yeah. How, how about um, time of wait? Right. If, if, you know, you, you don't have to go between rooms, you don't have to wash your hands. You don't have to be around potentially other sick people. You The virtual waiting room and waiting Correct. area has enormous benefits for, especially now, uh, keeping people safe, which is why we do it. And, and and so those are some of the pros. Some of the cons for me is, well, I mean, clearly, if, if you have, if you're in need of a physical examination, it's 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 mm-hmm. tough. Right. You'll have to go right. in for that. Yeah. Well, maybe. I, I, I've seen these machines they developed that will, like, the, the patient will have to do it, but they can self-auscultate if you will you can take the stethoscope yeah and it's on a machine and you you know the doctor will tell you where to hold it and they can listen to your heart sounds your breath sounds well, uh, we, we, you'd have to have the machines right but you know yeah with- well, that also falls in line with access and resources if we're talking about low level access low ses income individuals um, they might not have the technology to begin with to participate right. in telehealth. So that's another issue. Well, these were centralized machines. You would go to a building oh, and, and, and use it just like you were seeing your doctor. Right. And, and I mean, let's face it, there are some areas that don't have access. Having mm-hmm. insurance means nothing if you mm-hmm. don't have access. Yeah. And so even just a little bit of preventative care using telemedicine is is worth it. Well, and and certain machines are so cheap these days that you can't afford to have them at home, right? So a a, a blood pressure machine, a blood glucose level, even with this pandemic, the sales of pulse oximeters, these little machines you put on your Mm -hmm. index to measure the level of oxygen. We bought one Mm -hmm. when when Andrew was little because he had uh, asthma. And so it's just cheap. $15, $20, you can buy one. Now, sure, some people may not be able to afford that, right? Well, those those are... Those are small items that could probably be bought for the patient. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sort of like a health that. department can ship those out or whatever, yeah. right? Well, I mean, throwing out ideas, you could have a person that's their job to take some of these machines around to the people in their neighborhood. But with that comes associated with it increased costs, you know, like you said, increased manpower. But is it still increased over having to get that person out of their house to an office and it definitely and helps the patient a lot more. Well, that's, but in terms of the healthcare provider, it's another person or group of people who have to have that additional job or have that be their sole job. Uh, that could be a possible con. I still think overall telemedicine is um, very applicable and should be improved upon to make it better in the future. Well, pandemics make us innovative. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. If anything, but you know, it has been around for a while, right? And these it are has. obviously our opinions of what we think about it. But we did we did find a bunch of studies out there. So uh, a, a, a few people have actually studied patient responses to these things. So what did we find there? So it's been shown that providers have switched about a third or more of in-person care to the use of telephone or video for telemedicine. And is this this year alone or just like during COVID or during COVID, during COVID, during during the pandemic, Um, a national survey, a national press survey of 1.3 million found that patients appreciated the convenience as well as the intimacy, which I found surprising, the intimacy of virtual settings. So we're not really losing kind of any engagement here. Right. Um, Before the pandemic, pre pandemic baseline telemedicine was used at slightly less than 1%. Um, During the pandemic, it peaked at estimated 37% of all encounters in early May. And then by about mid-August, leveled out at around 15%. So still, we're seeing a very much increased percentage of use of telemedicine among patients compared to the pre-pandemic baseline. So it has increased. Overall adoption has increased and across different age groups as well. Yeah, from one to fifteen percent. I mean, I like to see huge. my stocks rise like that. You know, yeah, that's, right? that's a huge increase, and I think it's going to become a permanent part. Even if if we ever get back to normal, whatever that looks like, I think it'll be a, a permanent part, and it deserves its place there. You know, if my doctor's going over blood tests with me, there's no reason I need to get in my car and get there if I got Zoom. And I think that's the biggest benefit: is why waste that? Your visit is important. I'm not saying it isn't. But if it's something just routine, like discussing blood work, yeah. or if there, there's an odd uh, flare-up in you know blood result, well, you can talk about next steps via telecommunication. I don't think that that's a big deal. Save no, that I, visit for somebody who really needs that visit, somebody who's a little bit more serious condition. Sure. I agree. Yeah, no, I had... I had a physical a couple of years ago and uh, they did blood work, obviously, right? And then they called me in to discuss my blood work. And I said, well, why don't you just tell me over the phone? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you need to come in for this. And I went in and literally it was two minutes of them telling me there's nothing wrong here. Yeah. I was like, why are you dragging me in? To you know sleep? the answer. Well, yeah, yeah, for obviously money. money. Yeah. But I mean, I'm fine with you, you can charge calling the same that thing. a visit. Yeah. Ch- I mean... I have insurance. Sure. Okay. I don't worry about the cost. Right. But, you know, I I would have been okay with you charging me a full visit by telling me, why did you drag me in when I had to go and wait and then, you know, fill out paperwork, this and that for for you to tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, we found nothing wrong. Well, even something like, oh, you have increased um, uh, HD, high density lipoproteins or something's wrong with your lipids or cholesterol levels. Well, then that can be a televisit, a 20-minute call. Okay, this is what you need to do. Make dietary changes. Let's try you on this uh, prescription and move on. That doesn't signify a visit in my my opinion. Great. So we found a couple of reviews. Uh, One is telehealth and patient satisfaction, a systemic review and narrative analysis. Uh, Authors uh, Cruz, Krauski, Rodriguez, Tran, Vela, and Brooks. What was the objective of that study? It was a systematic review, excuse me, and narrative analysis. Uh, it explored the association of telehealth uh, and patient satisfaction in regards to effectiveness, 
and efficiency. So they, these guys did sort of a retrospective digging into articles, right? They they, they uh, meta analysis, yeah, yeah right. Right. and they found roughly two thousand one hundred ninety three articles, uh, uh, factors relating to effectiveness and efficiency that they identified, and then uh, most often twenty uh, percent improved outcomes. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Ten percent preferred modality. Uh, pre- people preferred that over over uh, over others. Ease of use, obviously, low cost, improved communication, decreased travel time, right? So, uh, and and all of these uh, uh, were mentioned in roughly around sixty uh, percent of the respondents as something that they uh, thought was a positive uh, positive outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a link in that uh, for that study in the show notes if you'd like to uh, read it. It, it is an open access. And uh, one of the things we actually try to do is when we refer to a scientific article, we make sure we don't pick ones that are behind a paywall where you mm-hmm. have to pay to access it. We try to pick, uh, 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 what do you call it, free articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you found another uh, study, did you not? Um, another study found that, but based on a survey of... Uh, they found that um, in terms of first telemedicine visit versus a second telemedicine visit, um, 89% of patients would recommend their provider after having had a telemedicine visit. Um, only 76% of patients would recommend a video visit following that telemedicine visit. So after that first telemedicine visit, there was a little bit of a drop off in terms of a recommendation by those patients, which indicates that there should be... there is room for improvement in terms of ease of the telemedicine visit and the overall experience. Those are good numbers though, I think. I mean, dropping 89% to only 76% of patients recommending a video visit following a telemedicine visit, I think that's still fine. I mean, that's more, it's three out of four people still recommending the use of telemedicine. But once again, it indicates that if we want to use this for the future, improvements should and need to be made. So a third study we found called uh, or titled Patient Satisfaction with and Preference for Telehealth Visits. Authors are that uh, Polinsky, Barger, Gagliano, Sussman, Brennan, and Schrank. Uh, They assessed patient satisfaction with and preference for telehealth visits in a telehealth program at CVS Minute Clinics. Anybody know anything about those CVS Minute Clinics? I don't. No. No. All right. Well, okay. Well, yeah. I was hoping uh, one of us would pick that up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but so they assess satisfaction and preference for telehealth, and in total, well, that's a lot of people. Uh, yeah, they surveyed uh, something around three thousand three hundred and three uh, patients. Yeah, and uh, although not uh, not all of them filled out the survey, true. Uh, 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 so between ninety four and ninety nine percent reported being very satisfied with the uh, telehealth still, attributes. Still seventeen hundred people. That's still a lot. Yeah, that yeah. is a lot. Yeah, well, one third preferred telehealth visit, preferred it over a traditional in person visit to CVS Minute Clinics. Uh, and I, I mean, I think that's significant. Right? I think so too. Well, it is statistically significant. Right. If, you and, <laughs> if you believe the statistics, sure. And uh, in, in addition to that, roughly 60% liked telehealth. 
uh, and uh, it, lack of medical insurance apparently increased the odds of preferring telehealth. And my guess is that that is cost associated. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, most likely. definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, people were uh, very satisfied uh, with it, et cetera, so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, convenience and perceived quality of care were important to patients, suggesting that telehealth may facilitate access to care. So, uh, major factors were their level of understanding, yeah, that, quality yes. of care. And the convenience. Convenience so, was a very big predictor, right, uh, with being satisfied. Well, I, th- I think they're all pretty similar. But, I mean, that makes sense. If you don't understand it, what, you don't know what you're doing. And mm-hmm. if you had a bad experience, you're not going to prefer it over an in-person visit. So, yeah, those, those have pretty big odds ratios right there. So how do we improve telemedicine and telehealth? Well, there needs to be a specialized team, a central team that aims to improve the use of telemedicine across all specialties. You need to support the patient, optimize workflow, and optimize the technology. Obviously, the technology has to be pretty spot on in order for this to occur. There has to be some flexibility as well. It can't be all video. There should be the option for telephone, and you need to work with the patient depending on their resources, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the problems is think, say, of an elderly patient who maybe does not know how to Zoom. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, that gets back to the, those original results that said old, you know, the older patients didn't like the, the, the telemedicine. Oh, I know that the doctor recently, before the pandemic, not recently, but pre-pandemic, um, emailed or told, sent an email to my dad saying, hey, your blood results are available on the online portal. And my dad said to me, I have no idea what this portal is. Uh, they emailed me a username, you know, a few weeks ago, but I don't know what that has so, to do with anything. Um, I can't see my, now I have to call them and get my blood results rather than check online. Well, so ease of convenience and access might be difficult for certain people, um, possibly older people, but not all. Well, uh, identification of those people, and uh, I'm sure there's some support. Uh, there's, so there needs to be a support person. I know that's yep. another another person involved, but, you know, that's a, a lower level person that could yep. easily guide the patients through. Yep. Keep in mind, this e-medit, this is this, this uh, online and, and yeah, we're going that way for lab tests all mm-hmm. the time, but certain certain areas of medicine will never oh, be able to. You know, so that's that's one way to improve is figure out where it works the best. Right? Take take some of your, you know, some of your best practices from one area and mm-hmm. transfer it to another. You know, I think of family medicine. That's what I'm thinking of. And primary care. I primary think it care. Has much, much preventative care. Yeah. Over, you know, surgery, clearly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although I mean, surgery need to be in the same room. Surgery with robotics, mm-hmm. you can. Anymore, Eventually, maybe. <laughs> well, anymore there. Not, not at your house, but I mean, there are a lot of robotic assisted surgery exactly. taking place. A lot of um, some knee procedures are being done. What your, TKAs are being mm-hmm. done uh, with robotic your assist. Your surgeon may be across the country at some point. That's scary. That's already Is happening. It? No, that's already happening. I don't know. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's already happening. There've been there've been even transatlantic, cross atlantic uh, 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 procedures done. Oh man, with I robotics. Would, see, I would you need somebody be, in the room, huh? I would just be nervous if they hauled in a video screen right before I was going under, and my surgeon <laughs> Meet your doctor. came up and he said, "Oh yeah, don't worry. Um, I have my tools right here." He shows me like a VR, you know, gloves, VR headset. That's- 
I mean, where we're going. That's ins- I love it. That's insane. That's like Star Wars. Stuff. What's that? What's that? Iron Man. What is it? Iron Man. Iron it Man. Is yeah, Iron yeah, Man. yeah, yeah. That yeah, would be. That would be interesting. Yeah. Then you see in those movies when it goes wrong, or oh, I can't fire. Oh, the connection is <laughs> yeah, lost. And, and Tony Stark and then isn't my, somebody I want doing surgery on. Man, yeah. I, was say. yeah I, 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 like, I, I like Tony Stark. Sometimes yeah. he has too much hubris, but maybe we'll do a uh, Marvel. Uh, uh, Marvel the show. science of Marvel. Mm-hmm. I did that at Teal. wasn't very successful. Anyway, the the <laughs> class you mean the science course. of movie magic didn't seem to engage as much interest as I thought. But really, that's okay. Um, it's not your fault, though. Uh, that's what students. I'll say. Exactly. Well, not your fault. <laughs> always, it's always somebody else's fault. So, what about tele-teaching? So, so we, we are at a medical school, right? And we've had to change a lot for our pandemic response. Yeah, well, so. I mean, all of education has to start there. I mean, at every level, you know, I've got kids now, they're all online for now. They were hybrid it's, before. It's one thing to teach sociology online or Spanish online versus you need to learn how to do a physical. Yeah. Well, no, that's okay. Certain so that's different. courses have to I'm, be taught. I've, I've, been, I've been doing online teaching for years. And, and for what I teach, there's no reason you can't do it online. For the majority of our preclinical courses, I mean, fine, you can teach phys online, right? We've been doing it. I mean, yeah, it's been, you know, it's just been different in an adjustment period. But I did not find any... Uh, anything that went awry. I yeah. mean, it was the same exact style of teaching, just some, you know, extra things. It was a lot it. of extra work because we had to adapt yes. to a new format, new platform. And but new training. We had to be trained mm-hmm. and learn how to use Zoom, the ins and outs. But were the students able to absorb the information? I and I so. say yes. But like Delbert's saying, when it comes to hands-on activities, we have HP. We also have something called OPP. We're an osteopathic school. Mm-hmm. So we do have to deal with those. So, um, you know, most most of the preclinical sciences can be taught remotely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've learned that. Um, and, and, and now it's funny because a few years ago, experts said, you know, if any portion of medical education was online, then then that wasn't good enough. But now we're seeing that some and medical, now, yeah, some medical schools are completely online. Completely uh, for know, now. This semester, not for the your remain, not for the foreseeable future. Well, I don't know. Maybe for the next year, I guess. I mean, if you think about it, students don't go to class all the time for med school. They they like they watch the lectures later. Yeah. yeah. So hands on labs, though. That's that's where we have, you know, an issue. So so um, how are we handling HNP, which is history and physical? Well, we put it off. OPP. We pushed it. We pushed it off. So our students are back now and, and our students are um, being tested for COVID. Oh, we're taking several times. Oh, big, yes. They're in different bubbles. And so different pods, you know, different pods. <laughs> uh, so different groups of students that we are hoping won't overlap. But we're testing them continuously and making them quarantine. But you, you can't do You can't learn medicine without. Knowing how to do a history and physical. Oh, there's no you way. have to palpate. You have to touch your patient. Uh-huh. So we've um, streamlined our entire semester mm-hmm. to put everything in a short period of time where students are on campus. Yeah. So the only drawback that I've personally seen or felt a bit this semester has been that sort of professor-student relationship yeah, it's so important. in the classroom yeah. and in the advising session of uh, the students feeling that they've made a connection with their faculty, made a connection with their colleagues. Well, not only that, but the constant um, issue that I have been made aware of is 
they're not really engaging with each other as much. They're right. not getting into those groups. Even when we put them in breakout other. groups, right? I think it's 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 forced in it general, is. right? And, and that they don't like that. They is. want it to be natural. They want it to be, oh, uh, oh, I remember seeing you at orientation. What'd you think about this slide? You know, yeah, something yeah. more natural. It has like really that. changed it. I mean, the, the fact is they're all cooped up just like we are. Mm-hmm. And so they, they aren't going out to see their friends. They're, you know, not not having these group sessions. So I will say uh, and they're stressed out. Yeah. And even like workshops. Right. I mean, I remember workshops from last year going from group to group in a lecture hall and being able to answer questions. And that was very smooth. Um, now it's going to this breakout room, going to that mm-hmm. breakout room. Sometimes you go to the break, a breakout room and the students are generally uh, they're kind of silent. You they're know? doing they their own thing don't, rather than yeah, talking to each they're other. They're more yeah. independent. Um, yep. I have liked this for advising, though, in the respect that if a student needs my help, usually, and I've had a student meeting within three minutes. Yeah. So they know the link, they go in, we talk for 10, 15 minutes, we're done. Rather than having them come and see, oh, it's our fun meeting. So so we use Zoom. Most, I think a lot of of colleges and universities have gone that direction. But do you foresee Zoom becoming a part of medical education, a, a bigger part, bigger component? I hope that it I hope that we retain it in some fashion um, only because I'm selfish in the respect that we've put a ton of work into this, a ton of training. Um, eight months ago, I would have had a lot of trouble running Zoom. Now it's, you know, it's pretty seamless. I hope we retain some of it. We I, can I, find a use for it. I think for advising meetings, it yes. has it has benefits for advising meetings, maybe. Uh well, think about, too, if you ever need to have a group study session, too. Again, I remember last year for office hours having eight people crammed in my office, and some of them had to stand because they all wanted to meet at the same time, and I only had an hour. Now you can have and You only have one chair. Two chairs. Three now. But, um, <laughs> but now you can have, you know, 30 people in there and bounce back and forth and have them ask questions, and everybody is there to absorb that knowledge. I like that. I think I think it'll have a bigger impact on our third and fourth year students since they're out at, if we go back to normal where, where they're all over the country doing rotations, and I need to have a research meeting with our MSBS students or our PhD mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot easier to get them through Zoom than to say, oh, you got to come back and we'll schedule it you know, at your convenience. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But uh, just to, to finish up, what about clinical rotations? Mm. You know, what have some schools been doing? What have we been doing? Uh, I don't know, actually. What what have we been doing for clinical rotations? Yeah, well, the loop a, on a, that. Lot of, a lot of students are still out on their clinical rotations. Mm-hmm. So they, they haven't changed. There's been precautions taken. They're following COVID rules. Um, some some areas have canceled. Some hospitals canceled. Yeah, I was going to say. They what don't want to see students. Have they been more... They've they haven't had as many options, right, for the rotations depending on traveling and um, restrictions there. No. Uh so we, we have a few virtual rotations have been put together. Uh we have some online education components that have been put together. Uh but but look, most students are still receiving the proper education. I think right. that's key though, and that's something that is sometimes lost in the shuffle. I know this has been a headache and it's been a process to adapt to it, but we have still helped our students tremendously. And the students have done a great job at adapting, too. It's been a two-way street. Oh, yeah, they have. Um, and then there's the innovations. Like, I was just reading about a Johns Hopkins professor who has a a cell phone holder. Uh, he's, he's in a full gown. He's got face shield. Mm-hmm. 
And then the cell phone holder. So when he goes around on round like on his forehead, on wow. his forehead, like a GoPro, like a GoPro. And so as he goes around rounds, the students are watching it on Zoom. Oh, that's cool. And they can chat with him and he can either hear it or read. I could I, wow. wasn't part of the article, but um, I found that that really interesting. So they're not in the room, but they're still with the patient, if you will. And they can ask questions. And they can ask questions with each other. Correct. I mean, there you go. Yeah. So the innovations are. I think we're I, I, and these can it, be used in different scenarios in the future. Sure. Right? We need right? to utilize these. We can't just go back completely to normal. I think we take what worked here, the innovations, and we keep them and expand upon them. It just amazes me how how pandemics, how emergencies just bring out the innovation in people. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and like Connor said, our students have adapted dramatically, right? We Correct me if I'm wrong. We have not seen a dramatic shift or a, a, a change in academic performance. Student learning, student engagement, I don't believe. Um, I think in overall... I mean, things have moved a little bit here and there, but for it's not like we've seen, oh, yeah, just giant change where we've had, oh, you know, everybody's failing or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We haven't lost half our class. No. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I can say, just based on anecdotal evidence, that, yeah, some students will say every now and then, yeah, you know, it sucks not being able to study together, like, in person, or even go out, because sometimes it's useful to blow yeah. off some steam and you go out to. and celebrate. But they are still asking good questions. They most groups are engaging incredibly well in workshops and classroom activities. Oh. I, I think that they have risen to the occasion and that they yeah. realize, hey, this we're all in this together, as they like to say. So and LeeCom exemplifies that. Yeah. All of us are together. I mean, we you know, our students are we've smart. worked together. Yes. And I you know, I just Big we've yeah, <laughs> but but we put a lot of effort into our students this semester, I, I feel I put in more than I ever have. Yeah. And uh, and they deserve it and they've earned yeah, it. They do. Yeah. yeah. The, the one area I feel like has taken a bit of a hit is research, honestly. Yeah. Because of so many travel restrictions mm. and, and quarantining rules and this and that. Uh, and research has to be hands on. We can zoom that for bench research. At least for my lab, I feel like that's taken a hit. Big hit. Another big but thing. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. We're, we're working our way around that. Yeah. Right. I mean, we do have active students right now. Right. Yeah. In the lab. So from the professorial side of things, the biggest thing that I regret and miss is uh, happy hour. I really <laughs> liked uh, every few months, you know, getting an email from somebody saying, hey, let's get together, have a happy hour and let's have some uh, faculty development down at uh, what's the place by the Bayfront that we went to a year, year and a half ago? Something shack in Erie? Am I misremembering this? Probably. Maybe. No. Is it the one that's right on the dock? Yes. Oh, well. I'm, I'm I'm blanking. It's a great place. I hope it's still there. I'm I blanking. hope they make it because. But you know when uh, when we went for we did have that one uh, Zoom happy hour one time. Zoom happy hour. What was that uh, game? What was that software? Oh, we still play it with house, uh, house, my, my buddy Cody. House Party. House we love party. House Party. House Party's fun. They have Uno now. Oh. oh Uno's wow. real fun. Okay. Well, speaking of that, in terms of a shout out, um, my... Fauner's friendly physiology factoid. 
fun factoid of the day. Fun, fun factoid. factoid of fun the day. Factoid. This is, is recommended. There's four Fs there. That's that's a that's a F alliteration. F. I like alliteration. I'm a fan. You're of welcome. It. I added that. In I know. You. I saw that. That was incredible. <laughs> I am a huge fan of alliteration. Any opportunity I get, I'll throw it in. Well, I chose my F words carefully that I added in there. <laughs> as you always should. As, as you always should. should. As a professor. But uh, this came up in the past week. My friends uh, Dakota Fox, we call him Cody, and uh, John Lozaritis. We were talking about our fantasy football Hold playoffs. On, Cody is not his actual name? I think it's Dakota. Boy, I should know that. He was in my before, you, before you put it on it air, is Dakota. you probably should know that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Cody. Sorry was, about this. He I listens. thought he was Cody all the time. Like it's his Dakota. actual name is Cody. It, Dakota. I've been lied to. Yeah, well, you can talk to him about it a little <laughs> bit later. Um, we have had one of our players go down, and it might cost us $100 or a few hundred dollars in our fantasy football championships in a few weeks, uh, Turf Toe. And Cody recommended uh, a short spotlight on what is Turf Toe, why is it uh, so common in particular sports, and what can be done about it. Why do some athletes go out with for a year with Turf Toe? And some athletes only miss maybe a game. Um, this is a common injury that occurs in football and soccer players, those people who play on artificial turf. Speaking and of fantasy football, by the way, your team is not doing that great compared to mine. Well, my team is not in the, the playoffs. In the league. So. <laughs> Doesn't my, he run your team? But my team is doing better than his team. So his running of my team. Technically, it's his team. His running Thank you. of my team. I call team. it fawner number two. <laughs> Thank is you. doing better than his running of his team. Thank you for that reminder, Dr. <laughs> Keller, because I forgot that I also ran his team. But yeah, I didn't make it into the Lee Com Fantasy Football Playoffs this year. Uh, we don't need to talk about that, though. Instead, um, what is turf toe? People hear that and usually think turf toe. That sounds like something that can be you can recover from that in a few days, right? Uh, this commonly occurs when an athlete pushes forcefully on the big toe with running and jumping activities and exerts extreme stress on the joints, the metatarsophalangeal huh. joints or MTP joints of the foot. And is that like a hyperextension? Hyperextension then? usually, ah. but it depends on you can have different uh, different components becoming damaged in the foot. Um, the um, flexor hallucis brevis uh, tendon can become damaged. The uh, plantar plate can become damaged as well. Uh, different uh, points of attachment between the big toe and those joints can become damaged. Brevis is not something we do on this podcast. No, <laughs> wasn't this supposed to be a shorter podcast? Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, with repeated flexing of the big toe on hard surfaces, hyperexertion, cutting, and random uh, repeated exertions, as is common in football, can result in these ligaments stretching or tearing. So how common is this? Is this uh, is this something that happens when you say you're going for a big jump or something? Or is this common as in like wear and tear? I would say repeated wear and tear. It is common among different athletes. It depends on the grade as well. Uh, grade ones are usually pretty minimal and least serious. You just have to rest, ice it, elevate it. You can come back within a few days. The question that Dakota Fox had was, why is one player out for a few games? And why is this one player now questionable for the next three weeks? Well, it depends on the ligaments and components that are damaged in the foot, of course. Um, grade two, this is when you're in a walking boot, uh, crutches. You can treat this with aspirin. You don't really have surgery being required unless you have really damaged that plantar plate, the, um, the uh, sesamoid uh, bones, uh, two round bones behind the big toe joint. 
if that and the tendon that helps and functions as like a pulley system for keeping that toe stabilized, if those tendons and the collateral ligaments become damaged in the big toe as well, then you're looking at surgery and you're probably out for the entire season if you're a football player. Sheesh. Yeah. But it's generally, it's very painful. And I would imagine that with most mild cases, the reason why football players are held out for multiple games is because you're hobbled, you can't run, you can't cut. And if you over damage and overexert that on top of the initial injury, well, you're most likely looking at a season long absence. So how is it diagnosed? Is it just uh, let me feel it or x-ray, MRI? You can feel it. Um, you can um, palpate to um, see the, ex um, the extent of the damage. Um, if it is extremely painful and the pain is progressing over several days, then typically x-rays or MRI scans can be used to observe the structure of the big toe, the surrounding bones, and any abnormalities in the soft tissue around the area. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a uh, turf toe. I don't know about you, but growing up, anytime I heard turf toe, I would think, oh, come on, you can get out there Suck and it play. <laughs> Walk it off. Well, I guess it depends on the position, Walk too. I think I've heard of some quarterbacks playing on a turf toe. If you're not a mobile quarterback, if they can tape it up, right? I mean, it just depends on the season. Uh, let's say you're in playoff contention. Maybe they throw the quarterback out there, tape it up, and get them through, try to win a playoff game. But if you're not in contention or if it's really serious, you're probably looking at a multi-week absence. I think this segment of friendly fauners physiology fun fact of the day uh, might become a permanent fixture. Well, oh, I fixture. Need, look at that. Another F word. I need uh, more recommendations. This was turf toe. <laughs> Maybe next week we can talk about. Uh, uh, I don't turf know. pinky. Is that a thing? I don't think no. so, unless they're falling down or walking on their hands and both their hands and feet when they're playing football. That's generally uncommon. Well, for our listeners out there, if there are any peculiar uh, things that you've heard here and there that you'd like discussed, let us know. TheBioBusters at gmail.com, which brings us to our game segment. What do we got from last week? Uh, we have, uh, let's say, uh, five-ish to ten-ish minutes. What do we got? Well, Farr didn't get a time limit. What's going on over here? Well, I mean, he is the founder of the podcast, so yeah. he can get as much There's time. another F word for That's you. another F word. He can get as much founder. time as he'd like. Not the one I was No, we can of. devote as much. It doesn't matter. We don't have time constraints here. Take as much time as you need, Dr. Kelly. Yeah, I'm just messing with you. Hey, Dr. Fodder. Huh? I'm just giving you a hard time, buddy. <laughs> so last week we talked about Robert uh, Koch and, and the, the or Koch and the Koch's postulates, and uh, the Koch's postulates were originally designed to identify a uh, at the time bacterial pathogen that was associated with disease. Uh, you have to realize that a long time ago we didn't even know bacteria existed before Pasteur, and so. Uh, Koch took, uh, he has four postulates that the uh, microorganism must be found in diseased but not healthy people, that the bug must be cultured from the diseased person, uh, and then you can take that, grow it up, and inoculate it into a healthy person and produce the same disease. Lastly, you have to re-isolate it from the sick person that you inoculated this into. Uh, this doesn't work with most of the infectious diseases we see today. That's a either, fact. Yeah, we either cannot culture them mm. or for some things, uh, 
there are people that can carry the bug around and not be sick. Asymptomatic infections. Mm, and asymptomatic infections. Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. Uh, and, and cholera was one of those at the time he was having an issue with. But uh, the question from last episode was what two bacteria did Coke use to support these postulates? And they are? And it's, we need a drum roll for this. We do need a drum roll, but it's in my head. Um, it was a tricky question because uh, if, if you know anything about uh, the history of, of, of Coke and his work, you would know that anthrax, he's the discoverer of anthrax. Mm-hmm. He, there was the disease known as anthrax. He discovered Bacillus anthracis, and he uh, proved that it was the cause. But that was before he, the postulates were postulated. Mm. Well, <laughs> see what you did there. And so the two bacteria that uh, he used to actually uh, support and prove his, his postulates were uh, tuberculosis, mycobacterium tuberculosis and vibrio cholera. So anthrax was not one of those. Indeed. Indeed. And so once again. I'm surprised winner. he didn't come down with any of these illnesses. The guy worked with like some yes, of the most dangerous pathogens. But that's what they worked with at the time. The typhoid fever, the mm-hmm. plague, TB, cholera. They, they, they had to have had something, right? Yeah. You would think. The risk of transmission are, and... And, and lack of any BSL-2 facilities, yes. hoods, you know, PPE. They didn't know. <laughs> they're, just playing, they're just playing with it in their basement. That's right. That's right. So how did he protect himself back in the day? Like, what would he have he postulated. in 1884? And mind you, no antibiotics at this time. No. Right? He's 1880s. No antibiotics till the 1930s, 20s, 30s, 40s. I mean, they were playing with diphtheria. That's pretty infectious. Insane, right? It's crazy. Anyway, once again, Dr. Lorenzo has... Uh, Sent in the appropriate response. Uh, so I have his address already. So <laughs> I bet you do. We've already sent him. Look, a gift if you're if you're listening to this segment of the podcast, we would really appreciate any responses. Uh, we, we get we get a few responses. We get a few, yeah. right? Um, some people did respond with um, incorrect answers, but that's okay. Uh, but that's okay. We really appreciate it. Or half right answers. Got one organism, but not the other. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, so, and a couple said uh, anth- uh, anthrax and TB. Right. And as I mentioned, anthrax is not one that was postulated. Okay, so... Uh, new one. The new one. So for this week... I like this parasite. Oh, it's I know you do. I wrote it for you. One of my favorite parasites to lecture on because the visuals, the pictures yeah. on that are Don't just give so... Don't any hints. Oof. So, since Foner took so much time, we're just going to do a short riddle today. <laughs> I actually wrote that down. I see that. <laughs> so I wouldn't forget. Uh, known as the giddy worm or fiery serpent, this parasitic disease of humans and now dogs. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. But of humans presents as a blister that then ruptures, breaks open to cause a burning, painful wound. That is typically found on the foot or at least the lower extremities. The worm causes the burning wound. And when it senses that the wound has contacted water, it releases larval worms out into the environment. And that's one reason it makes it burn so much is that people will seek out water to cool off the wound. As the disease progresses, the female worm slowly crawls out of the wound and patients will wrap it on a twig or pencil every day. One inch at a time. For months. For months. 
you cannot pull it out completely. You'll break it. Yeah. They, they do have. I've seen some videos where they have extracted it completely uh, by pulling you have it to, out. Like, cut out. Um, so, no, they just very slowly very will pull slowly it on. Pull it out. Yeah, but yeah. you do. You're right. You risk that uh, immune response, like an anaphylactic yeah. response, yeah. which is worse than the infection itself. Uh, true. Com- uh, we weren't going to get into it, but complications can include bacterial infections. Absolutely. That yeah. So, what is the question? The question for this uh, episode is. How is this infection acquired? So how does it transmit it? And how long does it take from the time you get the, the infection to the time it actually causes the wound? And our MMS students should know this because they better. we lectured on it this semester. Well, hopefully they're still listening. And if you are, send in some answers. <laughs> Hey, there's right. always immunology. We start immunology next semester, and there's always the potential for, oh, let's say a good question on your exam from some of the information. Here. Yeah, absolutely. If you know the answer, or if not, just email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. And if you're in Germany, we would also like you to answer the question, and uh, Dr. A will ship anything overseas. That's right. We will ship to any place on would Earth. It be easier via Zoom, but we will ship your prize. And if you do know the answer, please make a quick email, because we plan on recording a Christmas science special in about 10 days. We're going to have a quick turnaround. Quick. Quick. Christmas sign special coming up. Yep, better start That'll be our last now. episode of the year. One more episode in 2020. Christmas sign special. Send us your answers before next Monday. Absolutely. All right. Uh, why don't we read listener emails next week? Or next, yeah, that's, next time we record. That's probably a good idea. Although uh, I will say that the Christmas uh, science myths was uh, a, actually a, a like listener's he, suggestion yeah, absolutely. after our turkey myths from right. last episode. Yeah. Thank you, Bonnie, for that. Thanks, Bonnie. All right. So uh, that's our episode for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. Just search for the Biobusters. You can use any podcast catcher, download our episodes. You can listen at thebiobusters.podpean.com and... In addition to a Christmas special episode, stay tuned for a rebranding of our podcast, potentially with video podcasting. Why is that potential? Well, because no, 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 I I could die tomorrow. I I mean, there's no guarantees for the future. I'm reminded of the phrase, (laughs) do or do not, there is no try. If we're going to do video, then we do video. But that's that's what I'm planning. This one's so morbid. Like we were doing so good on this podcast. It's not morbid. I just can't plan the future. I have no idea what will happen. Well, you got to plan the future. Did you hear in on coming to work today? Very foreboding. Jeez. Okay, then potentially in case, in case you don't I hear don't from, wake up uh, tomorrow <laughs> from from Doctor Fawner on Twitter. Maybe yeah. You didn't wake up. Maybe I do a welfare am. check on me. <laughs> Delbert Abby Abdallah. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. Maybe. Find, maybe. <laughs> no, you'll still find me. That account will still be there. <laughs> if, if somebody answers, you don't know who it is. And if you, you see can a find... tweet from Fonder916, it might be me or it might be my wife <laughs> tweeting in my memory. That'll be this the really first went tweet downhill quickly. That I've ever sent. But this, this didn't go downhill. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you all for listening. And thanks to Bahana Money for the music. 
Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>